Hey, I'm going to say a sentence. I didn't do this in the first service, but I'm going to say a sentence, and I just want you to hear it and think about it. It's not on the screen, so just listen to it. To be transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. I'm going to say it again. To be transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That's what I want to talk to you about uh, this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Corinthians 3. If you don't have a Bible, if you have your phone, your smartphone with you, you can grab the Bible app from uh, lifechurch.tv and you can uh, log on there and uh, find a Bible app event for this sermon. Okay? Going to be in 2 Corinthians 3 in a few minutes. So I'm a Seinfeld fan. I watched it the first time through. I've watched it over and over again. I'm to the point where I can quote a lot of Seinfeld. I know a lot of you are Office fans, and I feel bad for you because uh, humor is kind of a cool thing. I'm just kidding, Office fans. I know you love that, right? Um, my wife and I have tried and tried and tried to watch The Office, and she keeps getting up and watching out the room, walking out of the room and saying, I can't stand those people. And then someone who works in an office says, that's how everybody is in an office, so it's real life kind of stuff. I guess because Laurel and I don't work in an office, we don't uh, click with that. But I click a lot with Seinfeld because those people weren't stupid. They were just neurotic. And, and uh, they, the neuroses was huge in Seinfeld. And you can see it over and over again. There's a, a cool moment that I often think of in Seinfeld because I feel like Kramer often in Seinfeld. There's a cool moment where they're talking about the New York City Marathon. You know, it's a huge event, running a marathon in New York City. And Elaine says to Jerry, hey, a friend of mine has an apartment that you can see the, the marathon runners from. It's a great view. And she invited me to come over and watch the marathon from her apartment. And she told me I could bring a friend. And Kramer interrupts with this sentence. He says, ah, the marathon. I keep forgetting to enter that. And I love that sentence because how do you forget to enter a marathon? Because a marathon takes more than just signing up on a line and going and running. Right? If you're going to be in a marathon, you're going to have to discipline yourself. You're going to have to train. You're going to have to work out. You're going to have to focus. You're going to have to completely devote yourself to that marathon. Ask Robbie Tubbs. He ran a marathon recently. And I can guarantee you he didn't sign up for it on Friday night and run on Saturday. I guarantee you that's the case. But sometimes I feel like we're a little bit like Kramer with the things we hear from God whether it's at Mahaffey Camp and we hear something from God, or whether it's someone's preaching and we hear something from God, or we're reading our devotions, reading God's word, listening to a podcast or a good preacher on the radio, good Bible teaching there. Sometimes we hear that stuff, and then later we're like, oh, I keep forgetting to do that. Kind of like redefining success. That was one of the transitions we talked about in the past several weeks. And we're like, oh yeah, redefining success. I keep forgetting to do that. Or kind of like transitioning from envy to a commitment. Oh, yeah, re- transitioning from envy to, I keep forgetting to do that. Or like we talked about last week, transitioning from running from suffering and doing everything we can to avoid pain to embracing God in the midst of the suffering that's inevitable for all of us. I'm like, oh, yeah, embracing God in suffering. I keep forgetting to do that. We're all a little bit too much like Kramer, and I don't want to be like Kramer. I don't want to be that way. We've been talking about transitions for the past several weeks. We've actually talked about eight of them. And this is our ninth sermon in this series. What I want us to do today is I want to revisit each of those. And I want you, I want you to ask yourself, have I been forgetting to do that? And if you have, I want you to think about implementing these transitions in your life. The passage that I ask you to open to 
is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul is talking about how, how when God showed himself to Moses, how he, he, radiated, he radiated with the presence of God. And, and he's really speaking about how that radiation, that glow, that brilliance, that image of, of God, that ever-increasing glory belongs to you and me, not just to Moses. So we're going to kind of pick up in the middle of the text. We're going to read verse 13, and you can see there it says, we are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to present it, prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds remain dull for this day. To this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, but because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Okay, you see what he's saying? He's saying, unless you know Christ, there's a veil of dimness that you don't really see the glory of, of God. But when you know Christ, that veil is taken away, and something happens to you, he says. Look at verse 17, he says, but now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. There's that phrase I read to you earlier. Did you catch it? We are being transformed into his image, the image of God, with ever-increasing glory. That's the goal. That's what we want. As Christians, we don't want to be saved and satisfied. We don't want to, yeah, okay, I'm ready to go to heaven and I'm just sitting here. We want to be transformed, to be changed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Now, don't get confused here. That doesn't mean we're being turned into a God. Jesus, of course, is God. And so I don't know if you remember Shirley MacLaine when she wrote her book, I think it was out on a limb decades ago, and she talks about being on the beach and she realized she's, she's a God and she's on the beach going, I'm a God, I'm a God. And I think there was like a movie about it or something like that. And I always wonder, what does a God in heaven feel when one of us is doing something silly like that, right? Because that's not what this is talking about. You will never be a God like God is. But by the power of the Spirit of God within you, he is transforming you and changing you as you yield to him and ask him to into one who reflects his image in an ever-increasingly glorious kind of way so that when people see you, they see the love of God. And when they hear you, they hear the peace of God. And you reflect his qualities of, of holiness and fairness and kindness and compassion and love and graciousness. Those characteristics of God that are kind of like a communicable disease, but they're not a disease. They're a good thing. You catch them by hanging out with God so that you begin to, with ever-increasing glory, reflect his image even more beautifully. I want to say to you, if you like that, if you want that, if that is your goal, to be more like Jesus, you will have to make the transitions we've been talking about over the past few weeks. You'll have to own them. And you can't come to the end and say, man, I keep forgetting to do these transitions. You're going to have to be almost diligent about implementing the transitions that the Spirit of God has for you to implement in your life. Now think about transitions for a moment. That very word transition has to do with change. 
And it's just a nice way for me to say, we all have to change. And the reason I say we all have to transition is because we all resist change. I don't want to change. You think people like change? Wow, you haven't been around people, right? Just try closing the Grampian school. See how that goes, right? That was a change that a lot of people didn't want, right? Or try making a rule that at the Clearfield County Fair, you're not allowed to throw candy out of the vehicles while they're moving. That's a change. Everyone's mad about that change. You would think that they took away like all the fire hydrants or something in town, right? Or at Mahaffey Camp, make a change. Wait, what? They're not making milkshakes every night? What kind of camp is this? We resist change. It is in our nature to resist change. But that does not make change any less necessary or even less inevitable. It was my eighth grade science teacher. If he said it once, he said it a hundred times. He said the only thing that doesn't change is change itself. In other words, all of life, all of nature, he was a life and science teacher, you know. All of life, all of nature, he says, is about change. (laughs) Change. My darling wife and I have a cottage at Mahaffey Camp. It was probably built in the 30s. I think it was just fine the way it was built. She thinks change has to happen there. So she's saying to me, hey, we should pull up this linoleum. I think there's nice wood underneath there. I think we need to change the carpet here. We really need to change our landscaping. And I'm like, I don't want to make any of those changes. But here's what I know about my wife. I know that I would have better luck stopping the flow of the Susquehanna River than stopping my wife's appetite for change in the cottage, right? It's inevitable. It's a little like God. You would have better luck stopping the flow of the Susquehanna River then you will have getting God to stop nudging you toward change and transition. Because he knows that you need these changes. He knows these changes are healthy for you. He knows that it is these changes that will help you reflect his image in ever-increasing glory. And so he's always going to bring these to your doorstep. These eight and a thousand other ones like them. And you really want to embrace these changes. So today, I'd like to revisit the eight changes we talked about. If you're going through, we're going through these eight things, you're like, boy, I don't remember that sermon. You can be thankful for technology because if you go to curbinsvillealliance.org and you go into the podcast, you can look it up and you can listen to it as you're traveling or however else you would like to. But what I really want you to do today is revisit these transitions and ask yourself, am I implementing them? Have they moved from my head into my heart? Or am I like Kramer and saying, oh yeah, I keep forgetting to do that. The first of the transitions was how we think about success. What do you think success looks like in your life? Well, for me, success looks like all my children standing in a row dressed nicely for Sunday school and not fighting on the way to church. That might be success, right? Or maybe for me, success looks like that new F-250. I'd go for that, right? For me, success would just be having the money to fill that up one time, right? Or maybe uh, success for you looks like the right girl or the right guy or the right job or the right vacation or whatever. But all of those things, if they become your measure of success, you're not going to be transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory. It's not going to happen. You see, we talked about when we talked about success, how success is really doing that which pleases God. And so the things that you do in your life, you ask yourself, does God feel good about this? I'm preaching a sermon this morning. Does God feel good about this? I hope he does. Um, This afternoon, I'm going to be cleaning out the cottage and moving things back home with my wife. And the way I interact with her, there's going to be a question in my heart. says, is God pleased with the way I'm, I'm acting toward Laurel here and helping her out? In everything you do, success needs to be measured by, does it please God? 
And is it surrendering to him, even when it costs? Sometimes we think of success in terms of I don't need to surrender because I'm the boss. But not in the kingdom. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? The one who serves. Who serves? The one who submits. The one who cares for others and puts others first. Success is surrender to God. Success is actually found in trusting God, trusting him that there's something better. When Abraham left his country, Ur of the Chaldees, and he went to the promised land, which he didn't even know what it was, the question is, how did he do that? And the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11.10, it says he was looking forward to a city with foundation whose architect and builder is God. So am I. That's what I'm looking for. And success is all about looking toward that, behaving in a manner that God is pleased, surrendering to him. If I am doing that, then I am being transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory. And if you want to be transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory, think about how you measure success. Are you measuring it according to God or by some other standard? Here's the second one. Transition your thinking on vulnerability. You know that every time I put a PowerPoint slide up, the graphic image in the background is always uh, either approved or declined by my wife. And she really wanted to decline this one. She said, those are the ugliest feet I've ever seen. I said, that's because you're married to a man who has handsome feet, honey. That's what's going on there. (laughs) But the reason I put feet there is because have you ever walked across a really hot parking lot in your bare feet? That's vulnerable. You ever been walking across the lawn and there was a bumblebee that you didn't see? That's vulnerable. Even sometimes hot sand on the beach or gravel can make you know exactly how vulnerable you are. And we don't like vulnerability. We really want to avoid it if it's possible. And yet, vulnerability and having a willingness to be vulnerable is something that helps us to become transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory. There's that sentence again. Transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory because we're being vulnerable. James, the book of James in the Bible, in chapter 5, verse 16, he has this sentence. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's this thing that Rob Reamer, who does soul care, talks about doing. He calls it a total life confession. And he suggests, he doesn't mandate, he just suggests that you find someone you can be vulnerable with and sit down and tell them every sin that you can imagine that you have committed. How many want to do that? Yeah, I don't want to do that, right? But you know what happened to Mahaffey this week? Another pastor came up to me and said, have you ever done a total life confession like Rob Reamer talks about? I said, no. And in my mind, I'm like, Jesus, don't let him ask me. Jesus, don't let him ask me. Jesus, don't let him ask me. And he said, I'd like to do one with you. And I'm like, yeah, why don't we, why don't we pray about that? <laughs> right? I went home to the cottage. I said to Laurel, you're not going to believe it. Like I said, he wants to do a total life confession with me. And Laurel said, I think that'd be good for you. <laughs> and then she said, nah, maybe she didn't say that, but she did say this. She said, it's really an honor that he asked you. He really trusts you. She didn't say, I think it'd be good for you. That's what I heard though, because I know that it would be good for me. So I sent a, a note to my buddy, Bob Flaherty. I sent a note to my buddy Bob because I know he'd done a total life confession. I said, how did you do that? What was your procedure? He said, me and two other guys got in a cottage at Mahaffey Camp and we started and we had supper and then we started and we went almost all night long. Said it was one of the best things I ever did in my whole life. 
I'm still not sure. That's where I was then. You know why I'm not sure? Because I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want people knowing my garbage. I don't like that idea. But I'm going to do it. I went to him yesterday and I said, hey, I've had time to pray about that, think about that. I didn't tell him that I emailed a couple people and asked about it. You know, I didn't tell him that. I said, I'm up for it. He said, okay, let's do it this fall, you know, when summer's over and vacations are done. I said, okay. I'm still a little apprehensive, but this is what I know. I know that when we choose to be vulnerable, we open the door for God to do work that he otherwise cannot do. I know that it's hard to be vulnerable because I know that I want to deny my need for that. I don't need it. I don't need to tell you my sins. And by the way, I'm not suggesting you guys do a total life confession. If you want to do it, that's fine. I'm not pushing you toward that at all. What I'm pushing you toward is vulnerability, however it comes into your life, vulnerability toward God and people you trust. And you're going to need to transition from denying, I don't really need that, to saying, wow, maybe I do need that. And you're going to have to transition from fearing relational vulnerability to actually facing up to it and transition as well from just waiting for it to happen to going after it. Who do you think is the better man? The guy who came to me and said, I'd like to do a total life confession with you. Or me, the guy who said, okay, I think he's a better man because he's the guy who went after it. He's the guy who went after it. We'll tell you this. We have a Thursday night small group. I've been in, I cannot imagine how many small groups that I've either been part of or have led in 30 years plus of ministry. In this small group, the men who are there are incredibly vulnerable. And we had a new guy come in, and that's always dangerous, you know? Because guys come into small groups, if they have a church background, they want to be real religious. Well, I never. Get that hand off your hip, buddy. Be real. Tell us what's going on in your life. And a vulnerability is palpable in that men's group. And those men have grown like I cannot believe. Listen to me. If you want to be transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory, you can't avoid vulnerability. You're going to have to look for it. Number three, transition your thinking on teachability. Let go of defensiveness. You know, when I'm at Mahaffey Camp, I'm around a lot of pastors, a lot of my peers, right? And I noticed something this year. I always notice something. And I noticed this year that when a question comes up, it's often the younger pastors that have all the answers. This is what you guys need. You need a young pastor who has all the answers. And you think to yourself, why are the old guys not given all the answers? And one of the reasons why is because they've learned the truth of James 1.19. Dear sisters, you brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Why? <laughs> because you have got to be a person who is teachable if you're going to be transitioned, transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory. And by the way, that teachability isn't just about what does the Trinity mean in the Bible? It's often much more personal than that. It's a willingness to own your own sin. You shouldn't have done that. You know, when you said that, that was just wrong. A willingness to be aware of God's good intention. Okay, God isn't telling me about my sin to make my life miserable. He has a good intention. He has redemption in mind for my sin. And so you face that and become teachable with a mindset that has a hope of redemption. If you want to be transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory, you will need to rethink your perspective on teachability. Number four. 
Transitioning our thinking concerning contentment. And that entails seeing the incredible destructive nature of envy. Envy is like a poison that brews in your soul. It's a nasty kind of a thing. And, and it would be wise for us to adopt the perspective that is voiced in the Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where it says in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Did you ever think of, of how ironic that sentence is? Godliness, with knowing you need gain nothing more, is in and of itself great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. That transition is a hard one to make because we live in a world where advertisement comes to us like crazy. I have a really, really good cell phone in my pocket. Do you know there's a new one coming out? (laughs) Godliness with contentment is great gain. I have a really nice computer, but that other guy, I have a really good wife, but whoa, now we just really saw how ugly it is, didn't we? Yeah. I don't want to live a life of envy. I want to see what I've been given as a gift from God and the the role that I have in life as what God has in mind for me to do. And as I look toward eternity and fulfill that role, I I can embrace God along that journey. And when you and I do that, then we are being transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory. We're experiencing what's spoken of in the letter to Corinth. Number five, transitioning from pushing to praying. Those of you that were here, do you remember the story of Jacob and remember how his brother Esau is coming with 400 men? And Jacob spends the night in prayer, but his prayer isn't what you think it would be. His prayer isn't like, oh God, Jacob is, I'm sorry, Esau is coming to kill me. Please put a hedge of protection around. It is not that. There's nothing recorded to say that he asks for any protection. What he asks for is God. That's when he wrestles with God. And that seems like such a mysterious passage. How do you even wrestle with God? I can tell you the only way you wrestle with God is when he lets you do it. (laughs) And he's wrestling, notice this, he's wrestling with God. He's not wrestling against God. He's not trying to defeat God. He's not trying to wrestle away from God. He's not trying to escape God. He's not a sumo wrestler. He's trying to push God out of the center. So he has the whole center to himself. He he is wrestling with him. It's not fist fighting. It's not kickboxing. It's not sumo wrestling. It is a wrestle of embrace. And Jacob will not let go. You hear that? So this transition is from pushing and trying to make things happen in your life like the way you want them to just holding on to God and saying, not my will, but your will be done. I want that, that kind of relationship with you, God. And there are parallels, if you think about it, between Jacob wrestling with God in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis and Jesus wrestling with God in Gethsemane. If there's any way this cup can pass by me, but not my will but yours be done. If you desire to be transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory, then you'll need to transition from pushing for your way to praying for God's way. Number six, transitioning from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool. (laughs) Get out of the kiddie pool, you know? Imagine just buying a membership to a really expensive pool place and it has a kiddie end and it has a deep end and you just hang out in the kiddie pool. You know, you could have gone to Walmart 
And he could have gotten that little pool and filled it up with water if that's all you're going to do. But you paid to join the club. And the club has a deep end. And it has diving boards. And it has all that stuff. And it's there for you. Now, some of you are like, I don't get in the deep end of the real pool, Pastor. This is an illustration, okay? So stay with me. We're talking about spiritually realizing that cheap grace is not the grace that God gave you, that the death of Christ is a costly gift given to you, and grace is costly. And so you respect it as such, not by adding new things to your life, but prioritizing the things that are already in your life so that you reflect your appreciation for the grace that God has given you in Jesus Christ who died for you. And as you do that, you are transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory. Two more. Transition from living in the everyday kingdom to living in the eternal kingdom. The everyday kingdom to the eternal kingdom. Our citizenship, writes Paul, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you live like a citizen of this world? Or do you live like a citizen of a greater world, of the eternal kingdom? And if you take a look, and I'm not saying if I looked at your life, because that isn't my call. But if you, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, kind of sat back for a minute and said, let me just get back and look at my life for a second. Does it reflect kingdom values and kingdom priorities? Or does it reflect a life of bondage and a life of misguided priorities and a life of chaos? You see, if you're going to transition, I'm sorry, if you're going to be transformed, into God's image with ever-increasing glory, then you're going to have to evaluate your life and say, am I living like a person who is part of a different kingdom? And then last week, we talked about transitioning from avoiding pain at all costs to understanding pain and walking with it, walking with Jesus through it. You know, sometimes we kind of live in this unrealistic world where we feel like, I won't have to deal with pain because I'm doing right by God, so he'll do right by me. And I can tell you that that is a real false belief that Christians, good Christian people, believe. I can tell you that because I've been with people in the nursing home who've walked with, and I'm not talking about one person, I'm talking about multiple people in my ministry. I've been with them in a nursing home. They're godly people. They were at church every time the doors were open. They worked in church. They taught in church. They served in church. They prayed in church. And now as they're coming toward the end of their life and maybe they're in a nursing home or maybe they're at home and they can't drive anymore. They lost their driver's license. Or maybe the doctor has given them a bad prognosis and they say these words, I never thought it would come to this. And you know, a sarcastic person would say, really, where did you think it would land? Because it comes to this for all of us. Suffering is something you cannot avoid. And yet I feel like maybe there's a little self-preservation there that doesn't let us think about it too much because it would overwhelm us. But maybe the enemy says, your life should be perfect. And because it isn't, God doesn't love you. Hmm. You need to transition in your thinking from feeling like suffering is something you should avoid at all costs to saying there's a God who is involved in my suffering and he is present with me and I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with him and fear no evil because he walks with me. And the apostles, the apostles have just been flogged. They've been scourged. They've been beaten. 40 lashes minus one. And it says this, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy, worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. 
I'm not sure I can do that. But I know that if I don't transition in my thinking from, I just got to avoid pain at all costs to saying, okay, when pain comes, I know God's going to be there with me. I know if I don't make that transition, then absolutely, I'll never be able to do that. But Jesus kind of prepped them for that. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And Jesus knows, and they know, that suffering is something that can produce something good in you. The pursuit of God. And suffering is something that shows, gives you an opportunity, shows God that you love him. And suffering is something that shows people around you that there's a God walking with you through this. And people are watching. You know, your kids are watching. (laughs) Your family's watching. And they're seeing how, how you respond to everything in life. And if you can show those people you love that Jesus is walking with you through this, they will be attracted to him. And that's what you want. You want them to be attracted to him so that with unveiled faces, you contemplate God's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hey, did you notice the end of that? Look at that last phrase. Which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let me tell you what that's saying because it's like the most important part of the sermon. Here's what that's saying. It doesn't come from you. You, 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 and me, we can't do this. We can't have a list of eight transitions and put them on our refrigerator and say, I'm going to make these. It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God who does this. Did you ever notice, Pastor Steve, that's me, did you ever notice that I never preach sermons Uh, on New Year's resolutions. Here's some New Year's resolutions you ought to make. You know why? Because I don't have the power to keep such things. And chances are you've realized that you don't either because they don't come from you. These transitions we're talking about and, and being transformed into the image of God with ever increasing glory doesn't come because you made it happen. It comes because he makes it happen in you. And so, if you want to make these transitions, then you must ask him to do them. And if you're like me, you even need to repent. You need to say, God, I've been trying to do this on my own. I thought I could muscle it down. I could arm wrestle these things down, and I can't. They beat me up every time. I'm sorry for thinking I was powerful enough to do this. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you to transform me into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. And I want to pray that that would happen in your life. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. Let's bow our hearts together. Father in heaven, we are thankful, thankful that we don't have to do these things. We do not find it insulting to consider the reality that we are incapable of doing this. We find it to be real that we are incapable to do this. So we would look for you, Holy Spirit, to so fill us and empower us and direct us that we might be able to implement transitions like these in our life so that we are being changed into the likeness of Christ, conformed into his ever-increasing glory. We really don't understand how this happens, but we know that this is your will for our life. We know that part of it happens because you, Jesus, are at the right hand of the Father interceding for us when we mess up. 
And so we take you at your word, God. We know that you love us and Christ died for us. And we know that you, our Savior and God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, will make these transitions in our life. Sometimes, God, we have wrong expectations concerning suffering and even concerning our spiritual growth. And we feel like, well, I tried to do that thing the pastor talked about and it didn't work, but really it probably did. We're probably just blind to see the subtle increases in glory that you're bringing into our lives. So give us patience, give us, give us tenacity, and give us the discipline to consistently yield our hearts to your spirit as he empowers us to be transformed into the likeness of Christ in ever-increasing glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.